I am here with Elizabeth Galloway McQuitter, a legend. Stick around. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. You are Locked on Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, hi there, everyone, and happy Wednesday to you. I am Howard Magdal, founder and editor of The Next and lead host of Locked On Women's Basketball. You can listen to us every weekday. You just subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or over on YouTube. Uh, and it is free. So I highly recommend you do so. We got you covered everywhere across the WNBA, across women's basketball, past, present, and future. And of course, make sure you're reading what my incredible staff is doing at thenexthoops.com. We have, again, well over 100 reported pieces on women's basketball every month, $9 a month or $72 a year. All your support goes to help Support this incredible staff, thenexthoops.com. And we're doing something different at thenexthoops.com than we've typically done, which is to say our coverage is normally fitting into uh, different individual stories. Uh, but I got a call a few weeks ago by our guest, Elizabeth Galloway McQuitter, uh, put in touch uh, by the great uh, Ann Myers Drysdale, who I'm privileged to consider a friend. And Liz reached out to me about the WBL. Liz is um, on the board and runs Legends of the Ball, uh, which chronicles the history of the WBL. So Liz, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. But second of all, talk to me about why it is that you created this organization to help tell these stories. Well, Howard, um, we were inducted as trailblazers of the game in 28 Ball Hall of Fame. After the induction, it became very clear to us that not enough, very little was known about our league and the women that made up that league. Uh, Twelve of us were inspired to tell that story. So Legends of the Ball, Inc. was born. And our mission is to promote the historic and social relevance of the WBL to inspire future generations to break through, realize their potential, break through barriers and become leaders for positive change. That's it in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. But overall, this is a glorious history. And not only women's professional basketball, but women's reflects a generation of first women who after title nine was enacted, became the first ones to step through those doors and, change the trajectory of the sport. And it's just sad that that history is not known. Well, it it's more than said, it's central to our mission to make sure mm -hmm. that we fix this, that we make sure that even as we are covering the day-to-day -day of today and tomorrow in women's basketball, that there is an urgency to go back and tell these stories. And so I, I want to lay it out for the listeners, if I could. Uh, you know, we heard a lot this week, this month about the anniversary of Title IX. You know, it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Well, all right, so do the math on that. That's June 23rd, 1972. Who are the people who are directly on the front lines 
to enforce Title IX and to begin to reap the benefits of Title IX. Well, that's Liz, right? That's Liz. That's the people who, oh, I, we lost her. Hold on, we'll bring her back. Can, can you hear me now? Yes. Excellent. And, and so, so that is Liz who went and played at Temple, at Temple College, uh, won a championship. Temple Junior, College. Temple Junior College. Temple Junior College. Temple Junior College. And a, a, a NJCAA championship in, 19, in 1975. Is that correct? Yes, it was the first one. It was the first National Junior College Championship ever, coached by legendary Hall of Famer Francis Garman, who is well known in the sport of women's basketball. Yeah. And, and, and so, again, the first, you know, we're talking about this period of time and AIAW is created and there's a Division One National Women's Basketball Championship there during a period of time, a decade when, quite frankly, the NCAA wasn't interested. And so women's basketball went out and created its own. And so you fast forward here slightly to the, nine, the late 1970s, 1978 rolls around. And there is a professional league too. And there, there is a lot, a lot of times the history of women's basketball is told in such a way that it begins with the WNBA. But of course it doesn't. And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about on the program before, you know, even a, a figure like a Peps Newman who played basketball in the 1950s and 60s and became a barnstormer. You know, there, there have always been women who had the ability, had the interest, and had the desire to play. You know, I, desire doesn't even begin to cover it, really, because you, you have to create your own. It's like you're building the plane while you fly the plane. And so, really, it all comes down to opportunity. And in so many mm-hmm. ways, that is what, the WBL was, and it was something there, there were of course downsides to it as well. There were uh, problems on the business side. Um, You know, there are all the things that go into creating something. And then of course, quite frankly, creating something into the teeth of a patriarchy uh, that existed then and exists to this day. Um, But what cannot be lost, what must not be lost are the incredible players and their stories of the time that that happened. So, Liz, I, I, I want to start on the court, if I could. Um, and your nickname, as I understand it, was Bandit. And um, so yes. <laughs> that it, it had to do with your, your proclivity for steals. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the late Les Grobstein, and I say that so painfully, we just lost him in January, who was our radio guy, called every hustle game. And he actually had called some of the Chicago Sky games before they uh, stopped with the radio games, uh, gave me that nickname. And uh, I let the league in steals the first year. And it was just, uh, I call it the art of the steal. It was something I took a lot of pride in. And uh, I actually went on to teach how to steal the ball. So that, that was how I got that nickname. From Les Grobstein. You said the following. I just want to read this quote. It's from a piece. Natalie Heverin wrote a terrific piece, and it's an introduction. You can go read it over at thenextsoups.com. I'm going to link to it in the description, uh, of course, uh, about this podcast. But you talked about that all I've known is full athletic scholarships. So it impacted my career completely about Title IX. It paid for my college. And the end result was always to get an education. Why? Because there wasn't a pro league. Nobody was mm-hmm. thinking of a pro league. That didn't come till after we graduated. And that's, 
something, quite frankly, I, I've, I've seen echoed through the years in my coverage of women's sports. I've covered, the, for instance, the National Women's Soccer League uh, since its inception and seen players who were drafted into that league the first couple of years. It wasn't on their radar. And now, as that league celebrates its 10th year, their players talk about, well, when I was in third grade, I went to a National Women's Soccer League uh, match. And so then suddenly I started to think about what it was like for me as a career. Tell me about it. Tell me about that moment that it first became an option in your mind that this was something you'd be able to do professionally. So, um, I'm, I'm sorry, Howard, I, I lost you oh, for a minute. I, so I, I'm, tell me about that first moment that you understood that this was something you'd be able to do professionally. You know, where were you? What did you hear? Okay. What was that? What was that moment like for you? Well, after we graduated, entered grad school and um, we were contacted by Karen Logan and she has a great history of her own. And I know you guys are going to be doing a story on her. And we owe the 28.5 today to her. It was her idea, her design. Mm -hmm. And so she came out to campus because we'd had a coach, Dan Ayala, had taken that program quickly off the ground. And we had some stars in there, actually. Uh, five of us from that team went on to play in the WBL. Hmm. But once we found out, you can imagine the joy because it was so painful. We would, we would do the scorebooks at the game, Deborah Wadi Rosso and I, to the sport we had grown to love. So it was just this opportunity to renew that. I call it that love affair that had begun with basketball. So pure joy, pure excitement, sign me up. Of, of course I'll go. Of course I'll try it. You know, just a dream come true. It was, you know, nowadays the young girls have had the WNBA around and uh, soccer and other pro sports, volleyball. And they can, it's always been on their radar. Just put yourself back in 1978, the opportunity to play women's professional basketball, to pick up that ball again. It's indescribable, even to this day when I think about it. So we're going to talk about what that meant and what that experience was like. But first, I, I do need to talk to you about um, something very important, and that's Sakara. Sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. Their nutritionally designed, chef-crafted breakfasts, lunch, and dinners are made with powerful plant-rich ingredients, helping to boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door, ready to eat. Now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off the first order when they go to sakara.com slash lockedon20. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-20. Or enter lockedon20 at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash locked on 20 to get 20% off your order, Sakara.com. So you get to this league. And again, it, it, I mean, it's so striking to me, right? It, the fact alone that there's not a pipeline. <laughs> there's not, you know, AAU teams. There's not everything that we've come to uh, associate with not just the women's name, but, you know, the men's name as well. It was about mm -hmm. finding talent, but you get there. Take me through what that 
experience is to see like-minded individuals, to see people who uh, you understood shared this passion and this high level capacity to play the game. Like-minded strikes me, strikes a chord with me because we all were just so eager and so happy to be able to play in a women's professional basketball league. Mm. I wrote a poem called Birth of a League, and it starts off by, by saying we came from all over. Small town girls, city girls came from all over with one goal in mind, to continue playing the sport we loved. In the beginning, it was the opportunity to play. Very quickly, we realized what was ahead of us and that we had an opportunity to change the landscape for women's professional basketball moving forward. Mm -hmm. That once the game started and the little girls and the little boys and the parents and the girl dads, even back then, and moms and coaches and collegiate girls were coming to the games it didn't take long for us to realize we had an opportunity to build something for the future. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, we came with uh, zest and excitement and uh, a competitive spirit and that trailblazing pioneering spirit. And it was soon replaced by we're on a mission, not only to play and do something we love, but to make sure this lasts for the future. You know, we were talking off air about, the documentary that ESPN aired about the, the 96ers. And, and I, I know I, you know, I've talked to you know, Rebecca Lobo who had this moment where she's looking around and Madison square garden is sold out. Uh, I, I know there had to be early moments where it felt like it was resonating. Was there a particular like a Eureka moment for you early on in that first year playing in the WBL where you said, Oh, wow, this is, this is bigger than I even could have imagined. Absolutely. It happened early. It happened early. Once the media, we, I played for the Chicago hustle and you know, Chicago was a sports town. Well, is a sports town mm -hmm. and the bears, the bulls, the Blackhawks, the Cubs, the white Sox. I mean, all those teams and our jobs. So we were very fortunate that Chicago was, I don't think anybody will argue the, the bad run, franchise. And now we find ourselves making appearances with Walter Payton and the Bears and the Bulls at the time. And Reggie Theus, an old UNLV teammate, was on the Bulls at the time. Yeah. And Jerry Sloan is at our games. And um, Channel 9 is covering us. And we're on TV. And Lace, the great late Lacey Banks and Bill Jouse of the Sun-Times and Trib are our beat writers. And so that eureka moment happened that, uh, and we had to kind of pinch ourselves because now we were propelled and put in in the same category with our male counterparts of counterparts in the city so that's when we felt like we are legit we are real we are accepted the media embraced us the fans embraced us the city embraced us and i would say that was that really was when it started to stick again it goes back to the larger issue of is there media coverage? Is there full buy-in from everyone? Mm -hmm. When that happens, success follows. It's, yes. it's got to be that that simple that simple turning on of the switch, not um, looking at it as an add-on, not looking at it as something beyond. And and so to be part of that, I just think it's so striking because this is the way you hear. People in women's basketball talk about it to this day. Whenever there is that gap, uh, it mm -hmm. is felt, it is understood by the players, by the coaches, by the front office members, 
by the people in the stands too. So uh, let that be yes. a clarion call from then and right until now. Um, I, Absolutely. You know, Howard, um, every franchise, and we just interviewed Chuck Schreiber at the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. our general manager, and we asked him about that. He came, having, like I said, having been with the Cubs and the White Sox, he mm -hmm. approached us in the same manner. He didn't differentiate. Yeah. That was the key to our success. He invited, he had those connections. They came, they saw, they liked what they saw. They mm -hmm. reported on us. They carried us. We actually outdrew the Blackhawks during those that year and, and pre pre Michael Jordan bulls. Of course we competed mm -hmm. with them for airtime and it led to more airtime. It led to a renewal of the contract the next year, but he treated us the same as he did his, when he was with the white Sox and the Cubs and therefore the respect that he garnered in the media, once they came and once the product was out there on the floor, mm -hmm. the product was good. And the people came, the media came, and we were literally off and running. We were fast. We were the fastest team in the league. We were literally off and running with all that support. The downside is every team, every every city did not have what we had in Chicago. Chicago could have sustained, but um, and we heard this from Chuck, and he was charged with going to all these teams and trying to put in that promotional. Uh, side of things mm -hmm. and uh, everybody didn't buy in and everybody didn't do it. And the result was, as we know, it didn't sustain. As ever, as ever, it's individual failures to invest properly and then treat it as the solution, right? Oh, well, there's the problem with women's basketball writ large. And somehow mm -hmm. in men's sports, teams struggle to draw all the time. Teams. Yes move and falter all the time and no one ever yes. frames it as oh well i just major league baseball can't succeed it's always yes. oh well there's an, an issue in a particular market a particular owner and yes the the Absolutely. the collective the, the collective is somehow used only only in failure and not in success in the stories on the women's basketball side and and, and so i guess very well said yeah i i it, it it never ceases to irritate me we we could do a whole other show on how uh, the Charlotte Sting should be in existence to this day instead of being treated <laughs> like, you know, oh, well, Charlotte's just fine for men's basketball. I mean, no, the Charlotte Hornets are 28th to 30th in attendance in the NBA every year, you know, and haven't won anything. Yeah. But some, you, you yeah. know, not that I'm arguing they shouldn't have an NBA team. Of course they should have an NBA team. Of course team. they should, yeah. They should have both. And the Charlotte Sting, and a, you know, and Donovan mm -hmm. coached there, and Don Staley played there, and Cheryl Reeve got her start there. I, well, yes. Yes. A different story for a different time, to be yeah, sure. We could definitely do a show on that. You and me. <laughs> do a lot of shows, Liz, and we will. Uh, I, I, I do want to talk about the end and the gap um, and, and, and what that's all meant and how you processed it. But first, I do want to talk about BetOnline.net, which is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. And we were talking about this even off the air, just that BetOnline.net doesn't just have Major League Baseball. It doesn't just have the NHL. It's got NCAA women's basketball during the college season. It's got WNBA odds. And while I'm not a betting person, I'm somebody who knows, believes that equality is central to making sure that women's sports is as a full seat at the table. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, live betting, esports, and scores, the fastest and easiest way to check all your sports and events. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action 
Bet online where the game starts. So 1981 comes around, the lead folds. There's not another professional league until essentially you're talking about the ABL in the mid-1990s. There was not an, a full-scale effort made until we saw a couple of these here in the mid-1990s. Were there other people? Actually, Howard, actually Howard that's, we need to correct that. We need to yeah. correct that history because here's the list. There was a league that never got off the ground in 1975, and we're trying to bring this to light, National Basketball League. And we lasted for three years and still right. is the second longest behind the WNBA. It couldn't, in uh, concurrence with the WBL was the LPBA that came in and took some of the players whose teams had folded in the WBL. Molly, our board member, Molly Bolin, was one of those players, as was Adrian Mitchell Newell. And then they folded. After that and after we folded came WABA. Mm-hmm. And Molly Bolin played in that. Nancy Lieberman, some of the WBLers rolled over into that league. Mm-hmm. And then there were there were five others before the WBL. Yeah, you had you had the LPBA, you had the L the Liberty, and you had the WBA. Then you had the WBL, mm-hmm. and then the ABL, and then mm-hmm. the WNBA. So this is part of the history one. While we're speaking for the WBL, that agony in our hearts, I'm sure, is in the hearts of all the other women who played in those leagues, right. who tried, who chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. So not only are is this first women's professional basketball league, which produced some of the greatest players of any era and who were more than the three years they played, we went on to impact the game in so many ways that I would love to discuss, in particular coaching. Uh, but you had all these other leagues in between who kept trying to get it started, kept trying to get it started, kept trying to get it started. And not only do they not know about us, they don't know about those leagues. They think it was maybe the ABL and then the WNBA because they don't acknowledge us. They don't acknowledge those in between us. And then even the ABL doesn't get acknowledged as it should. It does not. And, and so that's what that it's that period of time that I really kind of want to focus in on from 81 to the mid 1990s, right? Mm-hmm. During this period of time, what are we looking at as we think about, as we consider why there is such a difficulty getting it off the ground? You know, what are, what are you hearing from people as you're pursuing that fight through the years? And how hard was it when you had experienced it firsthand, where you understood what could happen? You understood the quality of play. You understood mm-hmm. that this was a necessity. I think in many ways, the uh, as the 1996 team in that documentary, that's out, it's a great documentary, as much as they helped jumpstart the uh, WNBA, the 1976 Olympic team, of which eight WBLers were on that team. Right. And the great Lucy Harris, of course, we know, and the great Ann Myers, Drysdale Lieberman. Uh, I don't want to start naming names. Charlotte Lewis, just the WBLers, Gail Marquis. These are the women who played in the WBL. Yeah. Uh, they helped jumpstart the WBL. And then here comes the 1980 Olympics. Bill Byrne and a lot of the WBLers felt that after the 1980 Olympics came, it mm-hmm. would give the league another boost. Well, we know what happened. We we did not attend the 1980 Olympics. Right. And so there, along with that, we lost an opportunity 
to feed on that momentum that had started to take on after Title IX and after the AIAW and after the WBL start, after the Olympic team and the W. We lost momentum. And then I think, I don't know that we ever trying and trying and trying. I don't think it was ever recovered. And then we had this 15-year gap uh, where there was nothing. And, and we were on the verge, on the cusp of the great Cheryl Miller and Cynthia Cooper, some of those great players coming out of college, which would have boosted the league, you know, had, had it not folded. We were, we were just right there. And so now you take a hit and it's almost, it was almost like going back to square one. You know, trying to get the renewed interest, and of course, the Olympics, the rebuild in 1996 before they they got that momentum back. That's that's my take on it, and a take on a lot of people that we talked to, those that of us that were there, and uh, and then I will tell you again in mentioning what Chuck Shriver did with the hustle, the other teams did not do, uh, and 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 it was just lost. It, it, I mean, it's, it feels like a lost generation. I, I don't know that a lot of people, even those who follow the early days of the WNBA, think of it in terms of, you know, Cynthia Cooper was 34 in her Yes. Role. You know, she could have played, played in the WBL. You know, had we sustained just a few more years, the league folded in 81. Mm-hmm. Coop and that USC group that won back to back, and some of those Louisiana, I mean, those great That's teams terrible. in college, yeah. had, had we just sustained a few more years, they would have been playing in the WBL. Also, Larry O'Brien, um, the NBA commissioner, mm-hmm. was talking to Bill Byrne, the WBL commissioner. We mm-hmm. like to say, what if? Yeah. You know, what if? I think had he just had the league sustained, it was coming. It was coming. It was coming with the product. The players were getting better and better every year. And, uh, you know, everybody didn't have that media coverage. But what if we had the backing of the NBA the way the WNBA did? I, I, I think about it all the time. I think about the fact that, and I'm a stat guy. So, you know, I go back and I look at the numbers of, you know, people like, like what, what Coop did from age 34 on. And you just yes. think, all right, we kind of projected backwards. Well, we, yes, you look at the WNBA, no, no one has had age 34, 35, 36 seasons like Coop did. Well, what would her numbers no, we, WNBA or sadly, WNBA? Sadly, sadly we, it ended for us in our 20s, sadly. And right. let me say this, Machine Gun Molly Bolin still holds the record for the most points scored in a season for the, I mean, I'm sorry, in a game and for the highest average in women's professional basketball, Mm -hmm. but it's not acknowledged because the WBL isn't acknowledged nor the other leagues, but we were a viable league and we lasted for three years and uh, you have to acknowledge those records. We visited the Negro leagues and he felt that we were, uh, we had a lot of parallels when he was getting major league baseball to acknowledge the Negro leagues, Mm -hmm. very similar uh, stories and that we're not included, nor is our era included when you start talking about those things. Even in the even in the NCAA, they acknowledge the coaches' records and wins, but they don't acknowledge the individual statistics of the players who played for those coaches. Yeah. A lot of fixing to do. There's a lot of going back, connecting the dots, filling in the gaps that needs to occur. 
so that the 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 young women today can truly gauge how far they have come. We say, oh, the game has come a long way. A long way from where? What vantage point do you use? That's right. Women have been playing since 1892, but when you look at everything, why don't you in turn think of who those women were, those pioneers were? Title IX, the entity didn't do it. People with names and faces and accomplishments did it, put it into motion, made it real and implemented and, and changed the trajectory of that sport. That is what is very frustrating, uh, listening to broadcasters talk about Title IX as an entity. Title IX propelled us forward. Title IX, yes, Title IX, the entity, the legislation opened the doors and cleared the path. And then all these young women took that baton and ran with it and are still running with it and passing it on and paying it forward. And that's the message we want to send. It, it, it's so vital. And, and, and I'm, I'm so gratified to be able to do all we can to amplify it because, you know, clear the path to an extent, but there's still plenty of underbrush that had to be mm-hmm. pushed aside by the people who were doing it. You the actual them. people. They don't know our names and they don't speak our names. You first have to know this history. You have to know the players. And when I say players, I don't mean just this actual athletes, all the players, the men, everybody that was involved. You have to know, just as we know, Pat. See me. Those those key figures of Title IX. Well, then you should start putting those names and faces to that era. You know, and of course, the league was founded by unheralded players. Then we have mm-hmm. Annie and Nancy Lieberman and Blazowski who brought name recognition. But that first year, Bill Byrne predicted 24 stars would be born by the year's end. And we definitely had 24 and more stars that emerged after that first year. Then we get the name power. Lucy Harris only played a couple of years and she started a family. She made a choice and it was a great choice. But she, we also had her. And um, so you've got these great names and all these unheralded players just on our board alone. We have Rita Swindell, who was the first African-American at the University of Texas. Trish Roberts, who was Pat Summit's first African-American. We played for some of the great coaches. Adrian Mitchell Newell played for Marion Washington. Uh, D.K. Thomas played for Sue Gunner. And if you know women's basketball, you will know these names. And then we had Peggy Kennedy, who still holds records at Northern Arizona. Mm-hmm. Peggy Gillum Granderson still holds the scoring and rebounding record at Ole Miss. She also coached in the in the WNBA and is big sister to the great Jennifer Gillum in the WNBA. Right. And then Charlene Jackson is uh, Porter Jackson is our lone HBCU member. And there were H there was an HBCU presence in the WBL and an African American women's presence in the WBL. There's all these layers. And then Molly played at Grandview College. So we have, and I played at UNLV after Temple. Mm-hmm. So we have all these are just on our board. And now you go in the whole WBL, all these wonderful, great WBL women who were the first to receive scholarships. They were the university's first All-Americans, first African-Americans. Blaze was the first Wade Trophy winner. We know the great Annie Myers uh, led UCLA to a national championship and the first woman to sign a pro contract. Mm -hmm. There was just all these great firsts that occurred within our generation. And until we go back and put every era in its rightful place, it history will continue to be omissive and inaccurate. I, I, 
I am honored that we get the chance to do it. I am thrilled. And mm-hmm. to our listeners, we're going to be talking to the board members in the months ahead and telling these stories uh, that are vital. And we're going to make sure this is the mission. This is what mm-hmm. you and I talked about in our first call. We, mm-hmm. you know, this We're going to have a historical documentation of it and make sure. There's over 300 uh, plus WBLers out there. And we've lost some, and time is not on our side to get these stories told. We've lost some of the greats of the WBL and of our era, including the great Lucy Harris and Althea um, Gwynn we just lost this year. But uh, a lot of them we've lost, and their stories need to be told. They're great stories. They're compelling stories. They're feel-good stories. They're trailblazing stories. And every university, every major university, doesn't even know who their trailblazer is. We're working on a an upcoming... Um, project with the NCAA called Find Your Trailblazer. And it's just a challenge to those current NCAA student athletes to get with their SIDs and their coaches and go on a scavenger hunt. You're going to find a trailblazer at South Carolina, at NC State, at UNLV, at Kansas, at Tennessee, at Stephen F. Austin, at Texas, at Ole Miss. You're going to find those trailblazers. And then it'll help connect them to their past. And we hope that it will be a project that will also help uh, get this history out as well on the collegiate level. We were collegians before, you know, Title IX pioneers and then AIAW pioneers and then WBL pioneers. Well, Liz, uh, we're here for all of it. I cannot stress enough. Go to legendsoftheballinc.org to see everything that your group is doing. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. We'll have you back and talk to everyone and get these stories told. And I, I just, to our listeners, you're in for such a treat. This is going to be so much fun. I think they will really start to understand why we have the game we have today. Yeah, I think I, that, I think you put that perfectly. Well, Liz, thank you so much for your time. We will be talking thank to you, you soon. Howard. Before we let you go, uh, I just want to thank everyone for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Liz, I don't know if you know this, but there is apparently a league called the NBA also. Uh, that is, it's a men's basketball league um, that men actually have the opportunity to play basketball as well. Is that something that you had heard of? No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say on this show is the NBA is a perfectly fine way to get you from one WNBA season to the next. But, Can I just say this, Howard, if I please. may? Please. We look at those the young women today and we see ourselves in them, the collegians yeah. and the and the WNBA players. We would love if that was reciprocated, if they could see themselves in us because yeah. we were the same young women with the same dream. They carry our dreams inside, but they don't know our names and mm-hmm. they don't speak our names. And they need they to. continue to to get to new new heights and don't know the source and they continue to soar, but do not know who gave them wings. That in itself is just sad to us, wow. you know, that it, you don't know whose shoulders you stand on. And it cheats everyone when, you, is, when these figures remain hidden. It is a clarion call. And I know we've talked about this. Uh, I, I, I and we do not do this so that we alone can tell these stories. This is something... Yes to every WNBA team, to the WNBA league office, to everyone in college basketball, which I know we have so many listeners across the across the country on SID side 
Make mm-hmm. sure you are participating in these scavenger hunts. Make sure you're doing it. And it's, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be inspiring. And it'll change. It'll change the way you, you view where you are. So I am with you. So you. anyway, just, just to, fin- to finish our <laughs> other part of it, we also have Locked On NBA for your second listen. We're first. Women's basketball first. But then get your NBA and 30 minutes every day. Locked On NBA is your daily NBA update. Once you, once you listen to us, sure, then you can listen to the men. Liz, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you to all who are listening. Uh, we'll be back first with you tomorrow, with you every weekday. Uh, I am Howard Megdahl, wishing you a wonderful Wednesday. And buckle up, because we got we got big WBL plans ahead. Here's to the WBL. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.